You are listening to a sermon preached at the First Christian Church of St. Ignatius in St. Ignatius, Montana. For more information, you can visit us at www.firstchristiansti.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Why, it's good to be back in what a nice ride today out of rainy Kalispell to get down here where at least it stopped raining. That was good. And it's a blessing to be with you today. And I hope I got this machine working. Let's see. Uh, nothing's coming up. I'll press that middle one again. Nothing's. Can we get that first slide up? You come and do it for me if we can't, okay? Hmm. Doing something wrong. I think I'm doing something wrong. Here you go. Uh, whoop, ta-da, ta-da-da-da, ta-da, there we go, that's good. What we've been doing today is already been singing about the past, the present, and the future. The very first song about God in the past, God in the present, and God in the future. All, it seems like all these songs fit today, and I thought, well, maybe that's where we ought to start, thinking about all the blessings that God has done in the past. And we've been praising him for what he's doing right now. And certainly we want to praise him for the plans he has for the future. Uh, that's three, three very important words. And I want to take a few moments today to just kind of uh, dig into God's word with us. You know, one of the great things that it says in God's word is that uh, the public reading of scripture. Uh, I, I don't think we do enough of that. I really praise you for starting the service with uh, standing up and reading God's word. And I think so many times you just expect the preacher to do that, when in fact we all ought to be doing that. So I'm going to ask that we stand again, and we're going to read Scripture. It'll appear on the screen, and I pray that it'll be a blessing for you. And I want you to read out loud and speak it out loud clearly. This comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 7 to 14. You can see it up here, and if that's not clarity, you just turn around and look at it at the back. That's where I'll be looking, okay, as we share it together. But look at what this means. It's about the plans that God has for us as we look ahead. But whatever gains were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize 
for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Friends, what we've been doing is reading God's holy word. And I think any time we do that, God is going to enrich us and strengthen us and bless us. May his word bring direction to our lives today. God bless you. you may be seated. My hope today that the message I bring, which I believe is very powerful for our time today, I really want us to consider this thought. Don't we need to rekindle our spiritual passion? Constantly, I think that's why we have church every week. I think it's why we have the Word of God that we can study every day. I think it's that time around the table when we thank God for His blessings. Every moment of the day is a time to give praise to God. Because somewhere along the line, we kind of let our spiritual passion get dull. So I hope and pray that what we share with you today will be encouraging and will rekindle in your life this walk with God. Now, what we could talk a lot about the past, uh, but you know what I figured out? The water's already gone under the bridge. The milk's out of the milk bottle. You know what? The past is past. Some of us have regrets about our past. Some of the things the past was really wonderful. I think it's wonderful. I grew up in eastern Canada in a little island called Prince Edward Island. Some of you people who have ever read or seen the videos on Anne of Green Gables, that's where I grew up. Uh, Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer had nothing on me. I tell you, we had a great time growing up. That's all past. I went to Bible college. You know, I was 4,000 miles away from where I lived to go to Bible college in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. You know how I got back home the first time? I hitchhiked across Canada. I wouldn't recommend that these days. But boy, I tell you, I slept Monday morning, bright and early, and by the time I ended up even driving a semi-car carrier thing because the guy got injured, and I drove all the way from North Dakota all the way to um, Sarnia, Ontario. And then I got in with a drunk guy. That was a wild and woolly moment in my life. I saw probably the hardest I ever prayed in my whole life. And, uh, but I made it, you know, from Monday morning, and I walked into our house at midnight on Saturday night, 4,000 miles. Cost me nothing. I mean, I, I could talk about my marriage when I met this wonderful gal named Judy. I'm sorry she can't be with us again this week. She's had a real setback on her right knee and can hardly walk. But uh, she's had a laser treatment now, and we're hoping that things will get really improved. And she wanted to come, and she wanted you to know that she, uh, she loved to be here. But, you know, we look at all those things, our marriage, our, our kids, our, our life. I, I look at my life and how God called me in the ministry and all. But you know what the reality is? Nothing I can say to you today is going to change your past. It is what it is. But praise God for Jesus, who sometime for many of you in the past, you had turned your life over to him and say, God, I want to look not to my past. You've forgiven that. I want to look to today. That's the now, the present. And then we want to talk about the future. See, the present is a thrilling time to recall the past, to praise God. We come here and do it now. The question is, what's next? Or what should I be doing now? What about the future? Pretty scary, really. When you think of the world in which we live today, finances, money, you know, politics, <laughs> decisions on uh, 
times to vote, the whole kind of anger that's in the country, the kind of anger that's in homes and schools and villages and towns and cities and all across the world, the kinds of things that go on. What, what in the world should we be thinking about when we talk about the future? Well, I, I, I want to recall, years ago, I preached in Calgary, Alberta for 22 years. We had a marvelous ministry there. And while I was ministering in Calgary, I picked up a book one time from a guy who was kind of a very popular leadership-style guy writing books, and it was called Seven Habits of highly effective people. I thought, well, that might have something in there that's good for me to learn about how to work with my staff and how to touch the community of Calgary. Maybe there's some leadership principles there. Because in that book, he describes the ingredients that would make us successful people and create strong families. I knew there's got to be some kind of helpful material in this. I'm, I'm certainly studying the Bible, but I want to know what the world is thinking at this time. Maybe this will be helpful in my ministry. And there were a lot of little gems in his book. Let me give you one of them. You begin with the end in mind. What he means is that you should ask yourself, what kind of a family or what kind of a church do you want to be? What is the future for you? What are you going to do? What is the dream of your life? Well, maybe then you would begin to work every day toward that vision that you have of a family or a job or even your church. Another one was, seek first to understand and then to be understood. Boy, those two need to go together. We need to listen to the thoughts and feelings of others. And then try to communicate our own thoughts and feelings into their life and out their life into ours. There's one word I didn't really understand too much in the book that I thought was interesting. There's the word synergizing. Man, that's an interesting thing. I thought it was maybe fertilizer for a farm animal. I didn't know what it was. But anyway, it's when two or more people work together to produce more than they could do separately. They're building up some kind of a mutual problem-solving atmosphere based on things like loving and learning and cooperation. There's no doubt in my mind that living together and learning together as a Christian family is one of the most important assignments God has given to us. God has given us many assignments, but family is a big one. That's also true of being the family of God. We call it his church. Our family of God relationships provide the foundation for the way that we're supposed to live and the way we're supposed to treat people. And in the Sunday school time today, Rick talked very personally about that. What do we do when we're at work? What do we do in the neighborhood? What do we do at the church family? Now, if we were to expand the, the whole concept in our lives, I would like to think that we could understand the reality and the purpose, the purpose of what it is that God has in mind. It would make us effective people. Now, the big word here is the word habit. Hmm, that's an interesting word. I want you to look, we're going to look at a, this passage of Scripture in Romans 15. Because I want to lay out for you some of the things, I'm not talking about the leadership habits out of Steve Covey's book, that's okay. But it's not fantastic. What's fantastic are the habits that God's Word says we should be doing. 
And I'm going to present to you some habits that when you say, I press on toward the goal or to the prize, to win it, that God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Maybe if we were to look at these verses of Scripture, we would begin to understand how God wants to make some significant differences in our life. And going to present to us seven habits. Seven habits that right here in St. Ignatius, you need to put into your life. I need to put them into my life. That's what I can do now so I can long for the great future that God has for me. Oh, we better talk a little bit about this. We who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. What does this verse say? Each of us should please our neighbors for their own good to build them up. Huh. Even Christ did not please himself, but as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we're going to have hope. May the God of, who gives abundance and endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. What a passage. You kind of break that down. There's some things we ought to be doing. We probably should define a habit for you. There are many ways of defining it and talking about it. It's an acquired thing. Because you know what the problem is? When we talk about habits, you know what you always think about? Your bad habits. I want to talk to you about some good habits. We got enough bad habits, friends. Uh, we need to talk about the good things that God wants in mind. Thank God for his help in this one here. Uh, I looked up some definitions of a, a habit. An acquired behavior pattern regularly followed until it's become almost involuntary. Like the habit of looking both ways before you cross the street. Uh, my son and his wife are over in Amsterdam today. And uh, he said, Dad, I almost got run over by bicycles. Well, I learned in Amsterdam, you look both ways. I mean, we, we, we can dodge a car, but let me tell you, there's not a possible way you can dodge 150 bicycles coming at you. And so he said, thanks for the information. An acquired pattern of behavior that often occurs automatically. How about this one? Habits are routines of behavior that are repeated regularly, and they tend to occur subconsciously without directly thinking consciously about them. One guy said that a habit is something you can do without thinking, which is why most of us have so many of them. Well, my friends, I want you to think about this. If we could get some good habits going in our lives, wouldn't that be good? That we didn't have to constantly, well, I wonder where that was in the Bible. It just suddenly becomes part of our life. The way we live as Christians, the easier it is to do, the harder it is to change if we've got some good habits. So let's look at seven habits in Romans 15 that will make this spiritual family, this church, your life, my life, what God wants it to be. The first habit is not something of the past. It's not something of the future. Oh, by the way, have you ever noticed that in the car? The past 
You look at that through a little teeny mirror that shines out the back. God says in the now, why don't you pay attention to what your future is? That's why I got a big windshield. Quit spending all your time looking behind. Let's get some habits for the future. First one is consideration for each other. Now let that ring in a little bit. We who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Oh boy, that is so un-American today. Everything's me too. That's okay, you've got a movement called that. Me too. Think about it. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. I have the privilege of speaking in a lot of places. I found out every congregation has an unbelievable mix of people. Some of you have been here at this church for a long time. And some of you, it's a short time. When Paul wrote to the churches in Rome where this text comes from, the question was not how long people had been there, but how they applied their faith to their situation. Let me give you an example. If you were to go back one chapter, chapter 14 of Romans, you run across a real problem for pagans who have decided to become Christians. And one of the big problems, you understand, is one of the pagan worship things was to offer meat to idols. Well, these pagan Christians made a decision. I'm going to become a Christian. I don't have to do that. I'm not going to do that anymore. And they made the decision that to be a good Christian, what you ought to do is don't eat meat. <laughs> That'd be tough in Montana in hunting season, right? And everybody, I think, at the ranch has been able to just get their annual supply of this. Even Bob got out there. He's shot. It's the the most finest, tenderest deer he said he's ever going to eat because it really is, was a little baby, I think. I, it was just a, a tiny little thing. But I want you to know, they, they had to do something, these people, with this whole idea of, of eating meat. So the priests uh, would dedicate that meat. They'd, make, they'd eat it. And then they'd maybe take it down to the local meat market. Or maybe they served it at the nice steakhouse. I don't know what they did with the meat, except they decided we're going to give up meat that's been offered to idols. By the way, uh, some new Christians who weren't coming out of the pagan culture at all, maybe just out of life, accepted Jesus Christ too, and they found themselves facing a bit of a dilemma. What if the meat that, that we have eaten has been offered to idols, and I'm now serving Jesus Christ, not the idols. Here's got this group of people in our church who thinks it's wrong to eat meat of any kind, and since there's no way to know which meat is which, I guess I've become a vegan. That's a modern translation, okay. What about those people who came by the different route? They say, well, Christ has given us freedom from such problems. God created everything, and God created things and said it's good. God is over everything. These idols have no power at all. They don't even exist. They're not real. <laughs> if it was back then, today, they would be known as fake news, okay? Just thank God and eat your meat. 
Oh, Arby's would like that. We've got the meats. You ever heard that ad on TV? Okay. Their faith was strong enough to overcome this problem. But for some of the new Christians, it was a hard thing. So if you're one who with a strong faith, faith it, do you eat meat or do you not eat meat? That's what the argument is in Romans 14. And the principle that Paul lays down is simple. If by eating meat you offend a weak Christian, then don't eat it. Today, we don't have that problem. Our problem is the teaching about considering one another. The need to consider each other is still there, whether you eat meat or don't eat meat. As Paul says in Romans 14, we don't live to ourselves. We do not die to ourselves. The decisions that we make, the actions that we take, affect the rest of God's family. I can hear somebody objecting and saying it this way. Hey, wait a minute. Alan, that's not fair. Does that mean we always have to give in to those who are weak in the faith? Well, just hang on. We're not finished yet, okay? Question is, are we developing the habit in our life of faith with an eye to the faith of others in our church family? Or is it just me? Everything for me. Let's go back to that verse again. We who are strong, those of us who are able in faith, need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter. That's the message interpretation. And not just do what is most convenient for us. That's a hard teaching in today's culture. If I go back to the NIV, it says, ought to bear. We ought to bear the burden. This word means to lift up, to bear away, to remove. And it's even in a larger sense, to bear with, to be indulgent to, to endure patiently, not to contend with. I mean, I looked at a lot of translations. And the biggest one is not to please ourselves. Right in the middle there, that second line down. Not to please ourselves. Not to make the main object of gratifying our own wills. Jesus put it awfully simply. Take up your cross every day. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Oh, it's the same deal. Deny yourselves. There can be lots of opinions about meat and drink. But the principle needs to be defined concerning our Christian conduct as denoted that we are not to make the happiness of ourselves or our own gratification the standard of our conduct. We're supposed to be seeking the welfare of others. So as a church family, there's a habit. Considering one another, age, how long have they been in the faith? How do we live? How do we serve? How do we help? What can we do for somebody? I look at my last week. We have a guy in our church named Steve Mahoney who just a week ago was in the hospital, three days, heart problem. He's got grandkids who are living in his motorhome. Brand new baby. 
and the furnace won't work. And he's thinking about going out and trying to figure out how to maybe lift that out of there two days after he got out of the hospital. So I offered to, hey, Steve, let me come over and take a look at it. I've lived with motorhomes all my life, so let's see what I can find. It took actually three days by the time we got all the parts and all the gizmos, etc. So he's God, Saturday morning, about 10 in the morning, I got it going. And now they have heat. Now, I had a lot of other things. I'm working on a new class that I'm teaching on leadership skills for a number of colleges in North America. I'm in the middle of some things related. I teach a Bible study on Tuesday. I've got a Bible study on Wednesday to teach. I'm in, every day there's something. And yet it took three days away from that. Why? Because Steve needed help. It's not what a preacher usually does, goes and fix a furnace. But he needed help badly. And suddenly, the things that were there, my wife's homesick. I'm out running all over the town trying to find the parts and all this kind of stuff. I, I, I counted that a privilege. You know what he did like an idiot? Offered me money. I don't want his money. I wanted to help him. Now, I, I'm not trying to brag about this. I'm just trying to say, I felt good about this. I couldn't say, maybe that's a habit I ought to put more time into. And so should you. Because it comes right from God's word. Let's try another one. By the way, the text goes on. Uh, the message, I read that to you. Strong and able, down the bottom there. Need to step in and let a hand to those who falter. Not just to do what is most convenient for us. Oh, I don't have time. Oh, come on. Number two, the study of Scripture. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Now, I want to tell you, those who are young people at uh, Pine Haven, God bless you. They're, you're into the Word of God. I understand that. But I want to tell you, for the general rule of thumb for the public in churches, of Christian churches and churches of Christ and every other name you want to think of, one of the books on the shelf that has the most dust on it are Bibles. I mean, I come to church and we hear a little sermon here and we get a scripture up on the screen. But what about the study of scripture? That's a habit we've got to endure. That's a habit we've got to put into our life. Paul says that God has given us his word for our encouragement. You read it, it's about our spiritual life. It's about our outlook. So let me ask this question today. How many of you love to eat? Would you raise your hand and be honest here? God bless you. If some people would eat their meals like they study God's word... You'd be starving to death. I was impressed when I recently read of a seminary professor who suffered a heart attack and he's recovering in the hospital. He's unable to do any exertion in his body. He didn't have a Bible there, but he started to write notes. And he went through the Psalms one by one in his mind. 
And out of the 150 psalms, he could only he could only get 140 of them. Ten of them, he couldn't quite remember what they were about, but he got 140 of them. That man knew his scriptures. As Christians, strong and weak, gather around the word of God. They will come to understand what it means for them. The weak will become strong, and the strong will learn to understand the weak. How do I rate in my study of Scripture? Let me put up an interesting slide here. This church right now is going through the matter of searching. We need an elder. Your pastor has passed away and gone to be with the Lord. An elder has passed away. This is the list out of 1 Timothy 3. As, as you're trying to determine and decide on this, you've got a decision to make. Are you going to just do it the way you might think worldly, or are you going to do it the way scripturally? If you want to look at this in a maybe different way, instead of picking one here and there, let's start in the order. The first one is going to be the toughest of all, if you want to get serious about this, above reproach. Every one of the others that you look at, you need to start thinking about that. I just want you to recall, there's a number of things in that list. Certainly don't want somebody quarrelsome. I hope we're not so tied into the love of money that we make decisions about that. You start thinking about this. Not a recent convert or good reputation outside of the church. All of these speak of above reproach. Drunkenness? No, no. Violent. My goodness. There are people on church boards and elder groups who fuss and fume and fight all the time. I don't want to say one of the benefits I had growing up in Canada compared to the U.S. of A. Those elders and preachers got along a lot better in Canada than they do in the United States. By the way, in Calgary, my best friends were the elders. To prove it to you, let me tell you, I was asked to be a Bible teacher at uh, Wainema Week of Missions, and we had nine elders. And individually, one by one, they all said, well, you're going down, you're going to teach, I'm, uh, you're taking your motor home? Yes. Uh, can we come? Nine elders and their wives. We had a caravan almost like that one from Mexico, okay? And we had a caravan going through there, and we spent a week after just playing together. Did the jet boat rides up the Rogue River. Remember laying out in the sand, watching the falling stars in August? Who were they? Preacher. In fact, I get, still get comments about this. I go back to Oregon and speak somewhere, and they say, you're the guy who plays with his elders. We can't do that at our church. There's this fighting going on between preacher and elder. That's, you're not living up the list, that church, as far as I'm concerned. 
We have to love one another. This whole idea of the household and the, the temperate, that kind. If we are going to study Scripture, then please make it the habit of doing what it says. And I know there's lots of interpretation. Watch that they aren't just man's interpretations. Just surely pray every moment, God, what does this mean for us from your word? I tell you, there's a lot of sermons today that are going out there. They're just ideas about the preacher and what he thinks. I don't want that at all. I want to know what God's word says. And preach the word. Instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and rejoice. Father is good to us. Now, such things were written in the scripture long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement. And they'll guide us properly in the decisions you make for a preacher for an elder, for whatever. Good habit. Number three. Sure, number three. No number three. I must have pressed something I shouldn't have pressed, okay? What? I'm sorry. Can, we flip? Can, you, can you overtake there? Can you move it on? Maybe not. Or can one of you guys come and make this work? If I hit something on the side I shouldn't hit, I want you to see them so that you can, and I know there's another slide there, so. There, habit three. Didn't press hard enough, okay? The endurance of steadfastness, endurance or steadfastness. Here's the scriptures, so that through the endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement, they might have hope. You know what we do? We give up too easily. Hang in there. There's obviously a cat on that one, you know, hanging from something, and they have a poster about that. Carry it through to the air. Hold fast. Persevere. I admire runners and bikers and athletes and hikers and all those kind of people. They're something else. We moved here from the Seattle area, and we're a big city, you know freeways and traffic and whatever. And I got here, and the one thing I heard they did at the church is they went hiking. And I decided as this new resident of Kalispell a number of years ago, I would go hiking. Hiking is on a narrow straight. No ups or downs. You just walk so nice. You're hiking, you know, hiking. I should have listened First of all, I'd go on a hike. I didn't know you had to take things like water. I, I just I thought we'd go for a little walk. And I, I didn't know anything about Glacier Park. I knew it's there, and I've been over the highway to the sun. But suddenly, this idea of hiking, okay, let's go. I had my runners on, and I had me. Whew. They decided to go to a place I didn't know where it was or what it was. It just said, I should have listened. Why don't we go to Huckleberry Lookout? That word lookout should have meant something to me. <laughs> Evidently, lookouts are not down here where we normally walk, right? Lookouts are way up there. 
Six miles up there. Six miles. <laughs> At that time, I had a very irregular heartbeat, honestly. All my life I have that. that. I don't have it now. God is good. But I'm telling you, that was, that was the closest thing to being in hell that I'd experienced in my life. I want you to know. I can't, I'll be there. I'll be there. Wait, okay. Praise God, there was another guy huffing and puffing as bad as me. And we, had, we, we finally, I made it to the top. Now you got to come down. I want to tell you, it's worse coming down than it is going up. My legs turned into rubber bands. I, I couldn't keep. One of the guys get, lent me his poles. I still almost ran. I ran into trees. I did everything trying to catch myself. When I got to the bottom, all my electrolytes had decided to quit, I'm sure. And I just started guzzling. Everybody came with orange juice for me so that I could get home and go to bed. I tell you. But you know what they say? I mentioned this story. You were there. You know what? One of the guys come up to me, Lawrence, and he says, you made it to the top, Alan. Don't forget that. Boy, wow. Paul talks about pressing on toward the goal. Remember we read it? I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call in Christ Jesus. We've been adopted into the family of God. We're called to endure, to hold fast, to hang in there. We didn't come this far to throw in the towel. Just because we don't always agree doesn't mean we walk away from each other. It isn't the menu of vegetables and meat that hold us together. It's the bread and the cup that Jesus offers. Are, are we developing the habit of endurance? Wow. Number four, hope. Hope. The scriptures and encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Boy, in our day, listen, <laughs> putting, your, putting all your interest in your money in the bank or in the stocks and bonds and well, up, down, up, down, 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 up, up, come on. Let's begin to understand the hope that we need in this day comes from God's word. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's where I can have hope, real hope. I can be encouraged about my life, no matter what's going on around me. And we've had some struggles, friends. Because I was such a crusader in Calgary, Alberta, and had the ear of the mayor and everybody else, I stood against everything that I felt was wrong in the city. And let me tell you, I was even, the mayor, I phoned me every week. What do you think we should do, Alan, at city council? I was before city council against homosexuality, against, uh, believe it or not, the whole idea of licensing prostitution in Calgary. And I was the voice up there speaking. Guess what? Our children began to take the penalty for my crusadership. Morning after morning, I'll tell you, we stood at our dining room window watching our kids walk off to school, knowing again that probably this day they're going to get beat up. My son came home numerous times, beaten to a pulp, and said, don't we worry, Dad, I'm going back. 
It's a little bonus. My, my son, he's uh, 53 years old now. High school, I came home from speaking, and there was a green shirt that had been given to me from Dallas Christian College, and on the back and on the front was, this is before, you know, using a T-shirt as some kind of a display about your faith. And on it, it had Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the power of God. Darren sees that in the person, and I had, it was given to me at, from the kids at the school, and, and he looked, Dad, did you bring that for me? And I thought, oh boy, is this quick, I can give it to him. I, I was wondering where I'd wear this thing. You know what he did the next day? He went to school with that shirt on. In a school where just the week before, Somebody had given somebody the finger, and a gang macheted it off right at school property. James Fowler High School was the roughest school in town, and our kids went there. And what he did, this one kid comes up to him, Bob Weeb, and says, Darren, man, you are a brave guy wearing that thing today. He says, well, I wear it because I'm a Christian. He began to talk to Bob Weeb. I didn't know Bob Weeb from Adam. Next thing, Bob Weeks hanging around our house. Next thing I know, Darren says, Bob wants to be baptized, and he wants me to baptize him. Well, I'm going to baptize. Today, Bob is a treasurer of Bow Valley Christian Church. Gave his heart and life to Christ because his guy, Darren Dunbar, was bold enough to bring the hope of salvation to a kid in high school. I want to tell you, if you can do that in that environment, boy, the environment we live in is nothing. Let, let's start thinking about this kind of thing, the kind of hope we have. I, I mentioned to you that one of seven habits was to begin with the end in mind. You get plugged into the Bible, you have your source of hope. And so you suddenly become realists about life, about salvation and hope. Stop being pessimists. Praise the Lord. Everything will turn out right. That's a phony statement by most of us. It'll take more than that. We need to live with the big picture in view. We may experience disappointments. We may endure hardships. But we know God is in the picture. We know that God has adopted us as his children. And whether my faith is strong or weak, we're all sisters and brothers. We're called the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Imagine what that means. And even though we live with our imperfections and our weaknesses, there will come a time when God's family will be called to his side. All the barriers are going to get broken down. All the work will get accomplished. And we will soar on eagle's wings. The Bible talks about that time as a celebration like a wedding feast, when God's people become the bride and God's son becomes the groom. And we don't want to miss it. We live the, with the hope that God inspires within us. Develop that habit, folks. Quit letting the world suck you in and tear you down. Quickly, number five. Harmony. Get along with each other. May the God who gives endurance and our encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus had. That's harmony. It's so amazing how a family, kids can be so different. 
So even though they have the same parents, and somehow in spite of their differences, most families can solve the problems about living together under one roof. The Bible reminds us, even though we're different from each other, we all have the same God, same Father. We don't all drive the same kind of cars. We don't all dress alike. We don't all think alike. But we're in the family of God, friends, and we ought to be, we ought to be living together in harmony. I've never gotten the story of the church. I had to have a difficult decision to make about a tree that had been planted too close to the building. It had a little plaque on it. Oh, whoever thought of plaques? You know, they create problems after people go on and die or someone else comes along. You couldn't touch that church because a famous family was there in the foundation of the church. But it was breaking the foundation. And the son was holding on to the family truth. That church was placed there, and it's going to stay there. And he found out that the board had a decision they had to make. And finally, he showed up at the board, and he said, listen, I don't think we should tear it down, but if it needs to be, let's, let's get it done. And he was the first guy there that Saturday morning to cut down the tree. Now, I want to tell you, that's what creates harmony. A willingness to do what's best for the body. The sixth one is praise. You do a good job here singing. I love hearing these guys' voices over here this morning. Just singing out with their praises to God. With one mind and one voice, we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? I want to talk to you about a little bit about worship. There's an interesting thing people are saying today. I went to that church, and I didn't like it. I didn't get anything out of it. I want to say this nicely. You went to church for the wrong reason. What's this idea? i got to get something extra out of it. Bible says we were created for God's pleasure. Bringing enjoyment to God, living for his pleasure, that's the first purpose of our Christian walk. Anything that we do that brings pleasure to God is an act of worship. And Paul's prayer in Romans here is that these habits of faithfulness lead us to praise and glorify God with one voice. Praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Now, there's some people come to church so full of joy and thanksgiving that they just can hardly wait to let it out. But a lot of others come with dragging empty buckets who really need to be filled. So whether we regard ourselves as strong or weak in the faith, together we praise God with one voice. Let's remember that worship is not for our benefit. It's for God's benefit. We don't come just to get something out of it. If you do, praise God. That's wonderful. Hallelujah. But we come to give our praise to him. And let me tell you, that's when the blessing happens. The faithful church is a praising church. Number seven, you need to follow the example of Jesus, which involved being accepting one another just as Christ accepted you. It isn't just because we should, it's because Jesus taught us that. Welcome each other as Christ welcomed you. You say to yourself, well, how did Jesus welcome me? Well, I'd ask this question, what did he give up for you? 
What did he give up for you? He gave his life. He could have stayed in heaven where he was equal with God. But if you take a look at this text of Scripture, he emptied himself, taking the form of a lackey, no worse, a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, death upon a cross. I wonder what that meant to those Christians in Rome. Is that like Paul is saying right here this morning? If you're one of those strong Christians, is it too much to give up your freedom about eating meat to encourage the weak brothers in Christ? Are you willing to do what God wants done? Are we willing to follow in his steps? Some of you remember that old classic book. That was its title, In His Steps. Sheldon or something, I think the guy's name was. You know what the principle of that book was? The question needed to be asked. What would Jesus do? So all through the book, and so different people, what happened when they got serious enough about that to say, I'm going to make my decision about what does Jesus want me to do with this company? What does Jesus want me to do with this family? What does Jesus want me to do with this money? You know where we learn all that? From Christ. What would he do? So if you would choose, oh, that's the big word. Because I can't pound it into you. You've got to choose. Then you say, well, seven? No, we'll start with one. Pick out the one that you're, you know you need the most. It might be the study of Scripture. It might be suddenly open your mouth and praising God a little when you're in church. It might be being a little more helpful to somebody else who needs help. Harmony, all those kinds of, I've been disgruntled and having struggles. Come on. When we would do that, our church's future will center in being the congregation God wants it to be. It's not a building. It's not dwelling in the past. Instead, living by developing biblical habits like the ones that we've looked at today. And when we do that, it will rekindle our passion. In our decision time today, we really got to get serious about the friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. You know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? If you're not, hey, this would be a great day to come and learn about him, to make a decision about him, accepting him. Put your faith in him. Repent of the things you've done wrong. Confess your faith before others and before God. Get baptized into Christ. Buried with him. What a privilege. Raised to walk in newness of life. And then suddenly grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. My sense that you've looked through those seven 
things that will make a difference in your life. See if I can get this to roll again. I got a couple more here just to show you. I have a little trouble getting this to fire on here. Fire, no, it won't. Okay. My sense is that uh, you're, you're a great congregation. You love God. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. But you got to get some habits going. One day a week isn't enough. Getting into the Word every day. Learning how to pray. Reaching out and helping somebody. Touching their life. Don't, don't, don't just think about it all taking place here. In fact, I, I'd like to think of a church as a building without walls. But those habits suddenly have begun to appear out in the community on Main Street. And the neighbors. To those who yet do not know Christ. Over at Pine Haven in your homes. Wherever your job or your situation is, the way you do your business. My prayer would be that the the spiritual passion of your life. I'm afraid too many of our modern churches have lost the passion. The most important things. So choose. Choose. That's that old scripture, choose who this day whom you will serve. So we're going to sing a song, what a friend we have in Jesus. If you need to come and make a public decision, repentance, renewal, salvation, conversion, whatever's on your heart coming from God. And sing this with real fervor in your life and thank God for the friend we have. Quit trying to think, well, I'll come back again if I get some more out of it. Come and worship him. Focus on him. Love him. Because you know what? He loves us. Father God, thank you for this time. A little bit long, I know. And I, but it's so important. So important. That we would somehow find a, the truth of God's word. And live it. And allow it to bless us strengthen our lives. Oh, how we love you. And for those who need to make a stand for Jesus this day, give them the courage to do so. I remember the day I gave my heart to Christ. Walked right from the very back, right up the front where my dad took my hand and asked me if I really believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I got baptized that day. I'll never forget it. There are people here who need to do the same thing. 